Broadcasting from beautiful, sexy, sultry, steamy Studio City, California. This is the Napsock Files. I'm Ken Napsock, and this is a show about life, the universe, and everything, with all appropriate apologies to Douglas Adams. The answer to life here is 42. And my special guest today, well, we've mentioned him on the show. At one episode, he was using a blender in the background, uh, but it is my good friend, <laughs> Lou Santini. I didn't, I didn't realize that, uh, that I was talked about on the show or my blender activity was... Uh, well, you just, you just liked my Facebook page today, so I'm assuming you haven't, <laughs> haven't paid attention. I could have sworn I, I already did that. Uh, I've known Lou Santini for a better part of a decade now. Yeah. Um, in fact, that's a theme on the show. It seems like I've known everyone for about a decade. Now I'm comfortable to talk with anyone on air. Uh, but I met Lou doing stand-up comedy. Uh, you were one of the first people where I, where I would see you show up to the club, and I would think, I don't want to go on tonight. This guy's too good. Oh, well, thanks. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> and then he got to know me, and he's like, what, do I, what was I worried about? <laughs> Uh, kind of, no. Um, I, I think the first joke I remember, like, oh, that's the guy who does was the saf- soft padded toilet seat Oh, yeah, thing. the toilet bit. Like, oh, that guy does the toilet seat bit. I can't compete with that tonight. <laughs> uh, then I got to know you and Tom Connolly. Yeah. And uh, I think it was at Naja's place down yep. at Redondo Beach, Joey Garza's room, where I was host one night. And uh, I, there was a, uh, a comic who came up, uh, an African-American gentleman. And I remember as a host, uh, he, he had bombed. And I went up and said, give it up for him. He's black. <laughs> and you and Tom died laughing and came up to me and said, hey, you're doing a good job tonight. And that's, we became friends. Well, those that. are tough rooms, man. I mean, it's, it's a non-comedy club setting. Against, right. uh, you're up against comedians who have, A, either never gone up forever all the way up to, I mean, I would like to consider myself a professional at that time. I mean, yeah. it was, like you said, 10, oh, ten years yeah. ago, so I was about five, six years in doing yeah. comedy. But still, I mean, those are the rough rooms. When did you... St- Start stand up officially. Fifteen years ago. I mean, I, I mean, I dabbled in it when I was on the radio in Cleveland, Ohio, yeah. but I couldn't devote myself to it full time because it was on the air six days a week and TV hosting and stuff. So once I stopped radio, I, I mean, literally the next week, every open mic that was around in Cleveland, I hit. Now let's get into that. You were you're Pittsburgh born, Cleveland raised. Correct, Northeast uh, Ohio. Uh, yeah, outside of Cleveland, Akron, Canton, Cleveland. Yeah, um, where the Canal Fulton mud. Now, <laughs> now you were that's where your mother lives. My mom lives in Canal Fulton, Ohio, uh, but well, I was mostly raised in Maslin, Ohio, and oh, well. went went to college at the University of Akron, where I started my radio training program. So you start radio young, like a lot of people. Eighteen. A lot of people start young, and either it's college radio or you get a smaller station. Did you go, you did college broadcasting, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, do, I got my start at WAUP, which is now WZIPFM, and is actually oh. literally the number one rated college station in the United States. And I even hate saying calling it a college station because even though it's a non-commercial station, mm-hmm. they have underwriting, and right. they compete in the Arbitron ratings, and they win. They beat, I mean, Akron's oh, really? the number 67 market, and they're number one, and they've been number one for years. And it, I know what you mean by the the college when I tell people uh, I did radio oh right. it's a college radio yeah no I actually was on a, a station a st- that reported to record companies right. every Monday with yeah their plays yeah. Um, but but I know there's some college stations that yeah they're powerful yeah in terms of their influence yeah. people think this was like some little underground thing and admittedly I'm not going to bore people with the engineering aspect radio but FM that. involves is not so much how many watts you have it literally is how high your tower is and how high your right. dish is so we had 330 watts but our tower was pretty high up there right. but eventually went to 3,300 and we moved our tower it was the highest tower in all of Ohio we broadcast almost the entire state we actually had to triangulate the signal so it wouldn't <laughs> knock other people out. It was that big, and uh, yeah, it's I big. imagine a bunch of college students physically moving their tower. <laughs> hey, hey, Lou, let's get it up here. There was actually a station at, at, at the at, at the on campus that if you literally left the parking lot, you lost the signal. 
And our yeah, and our and that's what a lot of people did in college radio. I did a micro-powered radio station right before I got my job with K Bar ninety five, uh, and literally, uh, you were parked out on the street and then like turned the wrong corner. <laughs> Done. Gone. Yeah, I mean, you you could hear ours. I mean, I've I've driven to Pittsburgh and heard yeah. that's a two and a half hour drive, and you would hear our WZIP. I don't want to age you, but this was uh, early eighties. Eighty six, I started. Okay, eighty six, and did it for eleven years. Four different stations over eleven years, but that's the thing too. You know, I, I graduated with three and a half years experience at a real working radio station. Right where people went right to work. I was out of a job for less than 30 days when I graduated college, and I got my first job at Rock 107. And, uh, um, you know, radio, you and I have talked for years now. I did f- I did just under four years of radio, right. and it's the best medium to me. Yeah. Uh, it, can you, for, and I know you agree, obviously, but can you explain that to the people listening, what we mean by that? Yeah, because if, if you're too young to remember, even if you were born in the years uh, when Sirius and XM first came about, right. let, let alone uh, there was a, a time when they tried internet radio, which there are still some internet stations out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, when radio was what uh, one of my two radio mentors, John Gorman, referred to as theater of the mind. Right. You know, if and if you really want to go way back, long before you and I were even, uh, you know, an inkblot was uh, the War of the Worlds thing. Right. Where, you know, uh, uh, help me. Um, Orson Welles. Orson Welles. <laughs> I almost called him H.G. Wells. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> Nancy Wells, yeah. whatever. Uh, or Orson Welles caused a nationwide panic by creating theater right. of the mind. And that's what I always, that's the way radio was back when you, even though you and I did it, Different lengths of time we were in it at during the same time, yeah. And when it was good, when it was uh, local, yeah. uh, where where it was you, you, it was uh, you know broadcast locally and thought globally. You know, yeah. you covered world and nationwide events, yep. but you still you know talked about the school closings and things like that. You, can, you know, you could still <laughs> do that. I mean, look, when I was in Cleveland radio, I mean, I had uh, over a million listeners every quarter hour, every fifteen minutes, and it's right. it's hard to reach unless you're on national television. It's hard or a syndicated show. You that's the, one of the few mediums that you can really reach. And people are, when you're a radio personality, you're in their lives. Absolutely. You're, it is a John, daily part of their John life. Gorman always said, you were the soundtrack to their lives. Exactly. And when I would, you know, I, being a stand-up, you get that immediate... Yeah, you know, get to be a clip, which is always nice. But that at max, I mean, unless you're playing a theater of twenty five hundred, you're not getting a lot of people there. Right. Radio, you're getting more people, but unless someone calls to tell you, which that was the great thing about it, because I'd be on the air and someone's mm-hmm. like, "Dude, you said something six months ago." I'm like, six months ago." Yeah. A, the fact that he took the time to call, and B, the fact that he remembered six months ago, and I would get letters and emails and faxes back that fax machines, kids, <laughs> look it up. Yeah. yeah. We had to do a faxer request to <laughs> Megan Ray. A whole lot of lunch <laughs> coming up at noon. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, you get faxes, people saying, you know, dude, that was hilarious. You made my day. You make my morning. Because then you know you we were on in the background. Yeah, sure, it's in the background, but yeah. they're listening. There's active listening I, and passive listening. Examples of that in my life up there in Pismo Beach, much smaller scale than you did, but a real station. I had carts and had yep, cut no, commercials. Yeah, I had carts. I, uh, we had someone, uh, my my partner and I, uh, Matt, Matt Donovan, Matty D, we, on our morning show, we had someone whose husband had died. Yep. And she would start to call in and listen. First, it was sad songs, R.E.M., Everybody Hurts. I'd play All Things Must Pass by George Harrison, all the stuff. And you mentioned she, the death on the air? Uh, well, she she would call in. We she we knew she her husband had died. I don't know if she had mentioned it on okay, air. Okay, because that was always policy of mine. No would, death yeah, on my yeah, show. She, she would talk, but then she sent us a handwritten letter, tear-stained. I'm sure. not kidding, tear-stained, oh, saying, yeah. my husband died. She was young. She was in her mid-20s. Uh-huh. Uh, my husband died, and you are the first two to make me laugh since that death. Uh, powerful stuff. Oh, all right. All right. If we're gonna, as as uh, people who have a background in improv as well, time yeah. to play the topper game. Yeah. Um, I remember. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. Yeah. I I uh, I used to have a listener when I was on a Rock One Hundred Seven, mm-hmm. uh, seven to midnight, Monday through Saturday. 
I used to have this one girl who would call me. A lot of my listeners I did eventually meet. They'd come out to personal appearances, and you put a face with the name. Uh, but she would always call me. Her name was Ada, A-D-A. And uh, she was extremely, I remember her being extremely polite. Hello, I, you know, I, I named the phone, Rock 107, you know, because you're in a hurry. Yeah. Hello, sir. May I please request a song? Just ridiculously good manners. I'm like, hey, Ada, you know, your name's a palindrome. And she'd always giggle. And uh, I mean, may I hear it? Usually the same song, or at least the same artist. Every, like clockwork, every right. Saturday, 7.05, my first time I got it, right? I come into work. I was filling in for somebody, and I'm checking my little employee mailbox there, and there's a note from uh, Todd Fisher, one of the other DJs there. And uh, there's a handwritten note from Todd said, uh, you need to call this woman. Ada's mom called. Ada committed suicide <laughs> the, other, the other night. Wow. Turns out this girl was, you know, I'm sorry, but you're probably not that great looking and overweight, yeah. and she's a teenager, which is tough enough. Yeah. You know, zits, you know, the whole the whole okay. nine yards of hell for, for a teenager. And I called her mom, and she said, my daughter has taped every single one of your shows for the last three years, right. has them all on cassette. And she said in her suicide note that I was the only one that was nice to her ever. And it right. turns out I had met her. She didn't introduce her. I didn't introduce herself. Right. And she's like, "You're the only person that was ever nice." And you know, of course, I started bawling. So I read yeah. the letter on the air and I mentioned that and kind of didn't appeal to. And that's local radio, because you can go on the radio and you can say, "Kids, go easy on each other. Stop making fun of each other." You know, you can do that on on a radio form. Uh, format. Yeah, you're you're in their lives, and that's that's a dramatic point but then there was the other things where we changed the news one day we're like hey let's read the news uh like at uh 25 instead of 15 sure so we got 10 people calling you made me late for work yeah because i don't get out of bed till i hear your news oh uh, i'm sorry john john gorman's legendary with uh, pranks because every april fools they would do something and they would just do basically do the time 15 minutes they would just ch- ch- do everything they would do instead of changing the format right. clock they would change they just do the time so they did it on time but yet the time was moved it's and people, people got fired it was just oh, ridiculous yeah. yeah i mean this guy's like you made me late to work i uh, when you would do the sports news ken that's when i'd get out of bed and yeah. you didn't do it till 8 25 i'm about 10 minutes late to work. Yeah. So it imagine it, it, it definitely on a local level. And that's why I always felt it was the best medium. It was a daily uh, exploration of, uh, and my, I, was, I was a very personal DJ. Yep, me too. Um, so if I had something happen the night before to me at, at, at Taco Bell, yep. there was one incident. Absolutely. Complained about on the air this morning, you and that's that why too. you became. That's why you're a comedian too. That's why you're a good comedian because yeah. that you keep it personal like well, that. And, well, I'm just saying you, that's what makes good radio. You know, it's it, right. it's it's personal, but it's not autobiographical. It, listeners can relate to you if you can create a community. Right. You're not. You're, you're not. You're, none of your stories were. Well, you had to be there. No one wants to hear that story. And you we, know? you and I, were part of the. Uh, I came into the radio business '94, but really '95 to '98 were my glory years right um and that was uh kind of the end of your run yeah i, I finished right. up in 97 the bill clinton passed that deregulation act mm. which changed the ownership rules yes and it used to be you know you, you know you can't own more than one fm one am station in a in, right. a, in a in a market and then uh, he the, he signed that uh law and next thing you know you know clear channel owns everything there's like yeah. three companies that own all the radio stations back then there were 11,800 radio stations in the country and over I want to. I'm John Gorman. is going to kill me. I'll say about six thousand owners. Now yeah. there's about two hundred owners. Right, and, and and it became what I call radio in a closet. Yeah, John Gorman calls it a uh, radio food court. Yeah, radio, <laughs> outstanding. Yeah, you go where I had one office, uh, you know, and we had maybe a sister station we were friends with. We yeah, were friends with. Sure, but if it came down to it, you want to kick their butts yeah, on the air. Absolutely. And then we got bought by the, one of those friend stations, but. That saved us from going to uh, Sly 96, which uh, mm-hmm. the parent company was like uh, Clear Channel, something like that. And yeah, I went and visit my friend Freddie B. went over there, 
And I went over and visited. He's like, well, here's the classic rock station. Here's yep. the rock station. Here's the, and it was all a closet. And so when you, you, the, where, where, where all the radio stations are in Cleveland, all the big ones, they're in like a circle, like a food court, and yeah. you can see through the glass your competition. And you're yeah. waving and everyone's happy. Yeah, but what's the, why, if you, you wonder why radio sucks, friends? Because if you're all owned by the same company, if Ken and I work at competing radio stations, we're both owned by right. the same company, what does it matter if I come in first and Ken comes in second or vice versa? Right. It, it, we're all owned by the same company. It'd be like owning fu- t- 10 Major League Baseball teams. Right. <laughs> right. What, what does it matter? One of my teams is getting in. And, 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 and then the, the personalized aspect of being a, a disc, job, disc jockey on air and on air personality. Uh, my, my friend Gene Mario went to one of these other stations, and I ran into him before I left town. Hey, Gene, how's this going? He's like, oh, great. I go in on Monday. My, I record my parts for the week. Yep. And I'm like, what do you what do you mean? Voice you rec- tracking. What do you mean you record on Monday? That's all I do. I go, you're on air Monday through Friday. Yeah, I know. And that's just death. It's death, and it, it loses a sense of immediacy. And all, the second that voice tracking started, uh, there was a backlash because uh, where I'm from in Ohio, that's Tornado Alley, and tornadoes right. happen. Tornadoes happen a lot, right. and uh, there's tornado season, and it didn't take long for a community to get hit by a tornado without any kind of warning because the voice tracking happened a week prior, and there was no live tornado. Coming up next, we got Pearl Jam. <laughs> it's a beautiful day outside. Watch you. Uh. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, that's, I have a friend of mine who lives in Canton who does radio for Barbados and like Antigua and stuff. She right. does it on her laptop at home and does. You know, well, isn't it one of the more famous morning show duos in L.A.? One of them broadcast from Seattle. Yeah, yeah. They didn't want to be in the same room with each other. Yeah, that's just crazy. That's you know, as I said, that's why it's, it's uh, you. You touched upon that. It's uh, local. It's personal, but it's also immediate. Yeah. And uh, TV is just. I mean, even even live news that you're watching, unless yeah. you're seeing live footage there, there's some kind of delay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was fun to be part of K-Bear. We had our third studio, and it was our dirty studio. And I know you went under some bigger stations that were cleaner and more professional. Yeah, but still, they all had that personality. They all had that. And look at the, the WMMS. I read John Gorman's book, The Buzzard Stuff, and you look at the pictures from the 70s. God, that's I wish I was there. Yeah. Little, <laughs> tiny, dirty, and you were a team. We were K-Bear 95, man. We were going to kick your ass. Yep. And, uh, and there was even like a little fun little sabotage. And I'm not talking yeah. like anything criminal. I'm talking about like what you see on Cheers against, you know, <laughs> San- Cheers, the bar and the... Uh, <laughs> Well, Gary's Gary. whatever tavern, yeah. whatever you know, you'd go in there and you know, and you 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 knew the other station was having a promotion, a uh, personal appearance somewhere, and then you'd pull up your giant cruiser and you give out free T-shirts and everything, just totally crap on their parade. Well, I mean, we we had fun, but uh, we had a I had a great John Mackey was my program director, and uh, he had great rock and roll stories. You know, he grew uh, came out up a. Came up of age in New York. His roommate was the Bengals drummer at one point. He loved Bruce Springsteen. And it was when John played a Bruce Springsteen song, it, it came from his soul that he played this yeah. song. Yeah. And, and John, we were an album oriented rock station, but let us kind of choose our own playlist. We yeah. just had to make sure we wrote it down so we could report it. Yeah. Album cuts, man. Album cuts. Yeah. I love that. I miss that part of it. Yeah. Oh, oh that's it. That's the thing, too. It's like, you know, you got to interview a lot of famous people, you know, and, and because yeah, these pe- a lot of these people are famous and they're used to being interviewed on TV and even like really big stations. Uh, I don't know what market San Luis Obispo was uh, where you're at, but small. Um, but I mean, like small. even Canton, Ohio, is considered a small market. It was number 107 in the country right. and uh, it had 350,000 people in it. So it was kind of cool. It's like, you know, when, when Motley Crue came to town, yeah. you know, Canton, Ohio is considered a small town when they just, wow, you guys are in the Sunset Strip? Cool. And just, you know, our station was just like overrun. Tell us about California. And you get to, you get to hang out with these guys right. in the studio and 
then backstage, and you can see the stories and the, and the stuff and I've you, seen. You were a great interviewer, and I know this because I'm going to ask you to tell the uh, Hootie and the Blowfish story. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Uh, a testament of what good radio, um, and nowadays, you can podcasting's not quite radio to me, but it's I, I'm, I like this format because it can kind of get you can kind of get to the that route, but but. Darius Rucker comes in. Tell the story. Yeah, Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish. Not that I'm a fan, but uh, we were we were I think we I don't, we were we were playing like we at the station. Uh, John Gorman programmed a sound oriented station, yeah. so we didn't just like play, for example, anything by Pearl Jam just because it was Pearl Jam. It had to right. fit our sound. Right. Uh, you know, we'd have artists like, why is Mazzy Star? It fit our sound. You right. know, and then and in two songs later, we would be playing Stone Temple Pilots, and those are two distinctly different groups, yeah. but they fit our sound. So we I think we had maybe one, maybe two songs from. Hootie on our playlist, and Darius Rucker comes in looking just defeated, like he'd done 50 interviews in right. 10 different markets. He's tired, and he's just ready for me to go, so what's it like being on the road? You know, so are you Hootie or yeah, you Blowfish? Yeah, yeah. Any good stories? I mean, you must meet a lot of cool girls, you know. And I remember he walked in with his handler, manager, you yeah. pick, whatever, and my producer walks him in, and I go, hey, man, and as soon as I saw him look at his face, I said, what do you want to talk about? And uh, he goes, I don't know. And I said, you want to talk about golf? And I just remember his eyes just lit up because I know the, the Dolphins, uh, I only want to be with you. Yeah, the one with Dolph- big Miami Dolphins The big like Dolph- me, Dolphins yeah. fan just like you and their golf and stuff. And he goes, really? I go, let's talk about anything but your album and music. And he goes, oh, thank God. <laughs> And he sat down, and he, and he actually sat down like he was comfortable rather than tired now, and it just yeah. gave him new life. And uh, so we talked We talked a little bit about golf, how his game was, where his favorite courses are. And then I said, we took a commercial break. I, I whispered in my producer's ear. I said, go into one of the sales guys always have golf clubs in their offices. Yeah, yeah. I said, go in and get Steve Romack's golf clubs and bring me that little automatic putting ball return thing he's got in there. Yeah. And I just called in all the interns and the grunts from the station to be a... A little clapping gallery, and we said, and then I brought in the other two guys I did mornings with, and we just did the all right, Darius yeah. Rutgers, ready to line up a 12 foot putt right now. And man, he was taking it seriously, and he's having a blast. <laughs> and I don't think we played music for like 25 minutes, and you know, at 10 30 in the morning, but he had a great time. And then, without me asking, he opened up and started talking about right. the album and everything else. And I said, right. oh, he goes, ah, we can talk about that now. I feel better now. Yeah. He didn't want to leave. That's how that's what the joy of radio is getting those moments. I, I had Linda Martin, the big local news anchor, gorgeous woman, stuffy but stuffy blonde, right. new professional. We, yep. we had her playing Hungry, Hungry Hippo <laughs> on the on, on the game. I said, I would like to challenge you to a game. And we, <laughs> you know, we're trying to eat the marbles. So, yeah, I love that story. You also kicked, you, you kicked out Toad the Wet Sprocket. Toad right? the Wet Sprocket. Yeah, that, it's always the, the smaller band. The ocean. Yeah. All I want is a beat. Is ugh. Uh, them and gin blossoms can suck it. I can bring those on my iTunes <laughs> now if you want. I, I interviewed Toad the Wet Sprocket, Toad the Wet Sprocket, and Joan Jett both. I threw out, uh, and Joan Jett scared me when I threw her out. Yeah, Joan Jett might ass. win that fight. Um, I, I had interviewed Joan Jett twice at Rock 107 and Toad the Wet Sprocket tri- twice at Rock 107, and then a third time, both of them at WMMS. Yeah. And both bands, like Joan Jett was kind of cranky the first time, okay the second time, and then the third time at MMS, as soon as I walked in, I mean, I looked different. And I yeah. st- still bad hair, but still looked different. I go, hey, you don't remember me? I interviewed you at Rock 107. She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not doing this interview unless my girlfriend can be here. <laughs> And I said, okay, I mean, I'm not putting her on the air. I mean, is she in your band? No. I said, well, she can stay in here. That's fine. And I think she relaxed a little bit, like, yeah. what, am I going to throw her out because right. she's your comfort? But she was kind of stand- standoffish. Uh, but Toad the Wet Sprocket, they had only had one, maybe two hits, and still only have maybe two. Right. And just 
the first time, just not only rude, just flat-out jerks, purposely swearing on the air, uh. you know. Uh, I cut to break, and they were trying to yell over, don't buy that product, you know, that kind of stuff. Just making me crazy. The second little midget drummer kid? Yeah. <laughs> second time, they were jerks again. The third time, I'm at a bigger station. I got more balls. I got John Gorman behind me, and they tried to pull that stuff, and I literally, I just said, you know what? You guys are done. And they said, what? And they said, you know, we've been through this dance twice before. This is my show. Hit the bricks. And I cut their mics <laughs> off, went right into commercial or the next song or whatever it was, and <laughs> threw them out. And then the record rep was there, and, you know, it's like uh-huh. asking John, like, what the hell is going on? And Gorman's like, I got to stand behind my DJ. You know, it yeah. made great radio. <laughs> and they were being jerks. Yeah. We're playing your songs, and you're being jerks. You're busting his balls. He's trying to be a good host, and I kicked him out. Meanwhile, Toe the John Rocket w- was never heard from again. Yeah. Meanwhile, John Entwistle from The Who comes in and introduces himself with all kinds of... Here's a guy who has right. no business being... It doesn't have to right. play. Hi, I, my name is John Entwistle. I'm with The Who. Like, like I'm, with, I'm with Amway. Can I interest you in a I'm song? with a rock and roll combo <laughs> called The Who. And I'm like, yeah, I know yeah, who no. you are. Yeah. You know, though that I, I don't have that interview because... That guy was—he yeah. was pretty old and baked. <laughs> right, right, right. right. I, it was very surreal. I think, I think the—I uh, was in a smaller market, obviously, but I—I I, I just I mentioned earlier. I got to interview David Crosby mm. by the phone, and uh, what did I spend the most of the time talking to him about his guest appearances on The Simpsons? <laughs> <laughs> Which I, like, I would too. Yeah, now. yeah. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yeah, you just found your son. He's in your band. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Twelve yeah, years yeah. sober. Yeah. I get. Hey, it. you were a guest on The Simpsons. Oh, yeah, that was a great, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the way I, if I was on the air now, because The Simpsons just, well, they started in, what, 86, yeah. 89? 89. 89. You, you should know what you're yeah. asking me. Sorry, just 89. You threw a woman out of your car for not liking That's the right, I'll do it again. But, uh, you know, just with hadn't, uh, you know, I was already into it then already, too. What was your favorite format, uh, not, not, what's your favorite day part to work? I would have to say you have the most freedom, 7 to midnight. I mean, okay. midnight to six, you have a lot of freedom. However, you see, you can, you, I would have calls solid from midnight to 2.30, and at 2.31, you are alone. Absolutely. <laughs> you are alone, I would put on man. a Led Zeppelin song, go to the lobby, and play Command and Conquer. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, I mean, just, you just, you know, I'd have, you know, and then maybe around 5.15, people start waking up, the early risers and stuff, because yeah. you're getting your midnight to six. I'd get, I'd, again, smaller town, I'd get the, uh, the, the shelf stalkers at grocery stores. Okay. And I'd let them, they request, like, all right, we got 12 songs, do it. And yeah. I just write it down. I had rec- twelve straight songs. This is for Chuck. Yeah, uh, Teddy wants this. Spider has this. Yeah. Um, but I, I took it one step further. I, I didn't like saying this one's going out to Ken or whatever. Right. I let that. I it, when I played back what's called an air chick tape, and you had to hooked up a cassette tape. A cassette. Look it up on Wikipedia, wow, kids. Yeah. And every time you turn the mic on, the cassette would start. Every time you turn the mic off, it would stop. And that way, you just have your breaks of what you said on the radio, and right. then your boss could critique it and tell you what you're doing wrong, what you're doing right. Well, if I had a tape with that was 30 minutes long after a five-hour shift, I guarantee you 20 minutes of that 30 was audience mm. not me i I, I would let, i would rather i'd rather just let them introduce the music That's and cool. their requests and i you know and i and not even you know I, this non sequiturs that you it was like you were catching me in the middle of a conversation a song would be fading you would hear you know rock 107 and you know the the other the voice rock 107 yeah so anyway so i was having sex with my boyfriend blah 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 and there would be no end of the con- you just caught the middle the best right. part Right, and that's when you had to edit with a razor and uh, <laughs> and a reel-to-reel <laughs> machine and a wax pencil, mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. I'm making thirty, forty cuts in a four-minute yeah. time period. I got pretty good. Yeah. Uh, uh, my my producer used to call me Edicus. Edicus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd get you'd get you'd get the uh, for the program director a blank cart and copy wrapped around it with a rubber band, and that was my homework. You got to do a spot for the local mattress shop. Damn it. Yeah. Go in there record. Um, yeah, midnight uh, to six shift. I worked. The, I I would get this lady would call the time mid sex. 
would call. Oh, I've had that. I, I had a mid vibrator. Yeah, and I hear the sounds of sex requesting uh, Ted Nugent. Yeah, consistently. Yeah, we used to. He- she used to put the phone so you'd hear. You're going in and out, and she's like, "Would you hear that?" I'm like, "Yes, I've heard it. We hear it every time you call." But seven to midnight was great because. Everyone from the radio station in the office is gone. Yeah. And so, I mean, literally, you could be naked in there if you had to. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I ever did that 20 or 30 times yeah. with people. Um, <laughs> that's another story. But, uh, yeah, and then you just you had more freedom. The The playlist was more freed up, yeah. especially on Friday nights. Harder. It got way harder because I worked a lot of hard rock and heavy metal radio. And, uh, and, and, and the, plus, people are drinking. They're having fun. They're partying. And, man, I would average on a five-hour shift at Rock 107 350 calls in a night. Yeah, and my dad be like, is that a lot? I'm like, can you answer the phone 350 times in five hours? That's just answer the phone, hello. Uh, Plus interviewing artists, yeah. playing music, maybe using the bathroom once, yeah. trying to eat something, editing, commer- you know, playing commercials. Yeah. It's crazy. People don't understand, and again, I sound like a model going, oh, modeling's yeah. hard. Yeah. I would work uh, the four-hour shifts, morning shows, Monday through Friday, then i do Saturday nights, six hours, roughly. Right. And that six-hour shift, you're dead when no. you go home. You're yeah. dead. Yeah, and you know, and, and you, know, you have to talk and/or be funny when you're right. tired. You know, it's not like your office job where you can just hide behind your cubicle. Right. You know, but I mean, I said not complaining because it was the best time of my life. I loved it. But I mean, yeah. for every hour on the air, there's at least an hour prep. So you'd be mm-hmm. on the air 25 hours a week. So you're looking at a minimum of 50 Though, hours. That's why you succeeded at a much higher level than I did because my, you, you oh, did not. show ended at 10 o'clock, 10:02. I'm heading <laughs> to the tennis court. <laughs> um, I wasted a lot of time. Now you, you are. I always say when I introduce you, uh, you are a rock and roll hall of fame. DJ. Yeah, thank Maybe you. Maybe you specifically aren't, but you are part of the WMMS crew. I am, I, and I wear that badge with pride. Yeah, and your picture, probably with a mullet uh, or some Cordell No, no, that was roll. it. <laughs> I had a mullet in Hang. 1994. Hangs <laughs> in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, WMMS was the radio station I finished my career at in Cleveland, Ohio, and it was the station that was instrumental in, A, getting the Cleveland Browns back, right. and, B, getting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Right. And uh, I actually was the second DJ to ever broadcast from their studios there, and I was the first guy to ever take a tour before they even like finished the construction mm-hmm. of it. And I was there, I broadcast the ribbon cutting when I got to hear Yoko Ono deliver her famous speech. You ready? Ready for the quote? Mm. Wow, Cleveland, what you do? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not making. I am. I am making fun. That's exactly how she sounded. I was watching that on VH1. Yeah, not you know, not not like wow, what a great building. Wow, Cleveland, what you do? I mean, it's like this is it, really? And you know, and they had some other dignitaries there, but she grabs the mic. You got a half million Clevelanders ready to hear from Yoko Ono, and that's what we get. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, so uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has these exhibits that they change out yeah. three or four times a year. There'll be a special U2 exhibit or special mm-hmm. in the doors or a before they were rock stars exhibit. And they had one dedicated to uh, WMMS. There's a whole exhibit at the Rock Hall just for Cleveland radio right. and Cleveland artists uh, and Northeast Ohio artists that, you know, Devo, uh, the Pretenders, mm-hmm. uh, these other artists like that. Mm-hmm. And they had the one for WMMS. And I was here in Los Angeles, and my good friend, our good friend, Basana, mm-hmm. who was one of my loyal listeners. There you go. You want to talk about the immediacy of radio and the local radio? When I worked at my third station at Rock 107, I had a listener named Basana who used to call me every single night. I used to give her free tickets to just about every concert because she was such a good viewer, uh, listener. And I finally met her. We became friends. Flash forward, I move out here in 1997. She moves out here in 1998. We're two miles away. 
Right. And, you know, and that just and we've known each other literally twenty plus years. Other than my mom, I've known her the longest of any right. of my circle. And I've still people. been I've been in L.A. a couple times, and people are like, "God, Lou Santini." There used to be a guy in Cleveland, the yeah. radio, and you'd be like, nah, "Yeah." Nah, I don't me. know if that part of that was me or part of that was the station. So she's in Cleveland. Mm. She's she's like she sends me a text like, "You're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame." I'm like, "No, I'm not. I'm in L.A." And she goes, "No, you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame." Takes a picture of my promotional picture. <laughs> From WMMS, that's in this display for WMMS. So I, coincidentally, was going home to Ohio the next month. I go there with my mother. You're not allowed mm-hmm. to have, fla- you know, pictures or yeah. flash photography. I'm like, well, tough Screw crap. It. This is happening. Yeah. So I, I kind of, you know, stand next to my mom. Of course, 19 tries to get a semi-decent picture, <laughs> which is now on the inside cover of my comedy album. There's a picture of me pointing at a picture of me at the right. in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the best part was there was a. Typical Ohioan guy with his wife just kind of look at the exhibit or whatever. And I see him looking at my picture, and I just look at that, and I look at the guy, I go, Lou Santini. I don't know if I remember him. And the guy goes, I do, and he sucked. <laughs> and then he turns to me, and of course, that was 1994 at the mullet, and I'm probably about 25 pounds lighter. And he looks over, and he goes, oh, hey, like that, like... Too late now, dude. <laughs> and I think spelled, he just wanted buddy. to say I suck just for the sake of saying something. You know something. what I mean? It's like, yeah, really? He sucked. He sucked. Uh, before we, we, I do want to transition away from radio, yeah. but uh, I had to, uh, one of my uh, shifts, I had to deliver the news to Pismo Beach that Princess Diana had died. Uh-huh. Um, you had to deliver more devastating, <laughs> one. devastating news. About the Cleveland Browns, I've had uh, I had to announce when the Cleveland I actually saw the last Cleveland Brown Cincinnati Bengals game in Cincinnati as part of a ironically our radio station put together a prize package you know travel on the road with Luciantini and Brian and Joe to go see the Browns play the Bengals in Cincinnati so you know it's like me Brian and Joe and like fifty listeners in this huge bus we drive down there we see the game and little do we know a that's the last game we'd see of the original Cleveland Browns right. before they moved to Baltimore right and b Art Modell was literally right above us in the right above where we were sitting. So I'm on the air, and this is when I was on middays, and right. uh, it came over like at 10.15. And I'm like, I'm 15 minutes into a four-hour shift, and it came over the AP wire that the Browns have, are officially leaving. And I remember taking the paper into John Gorman saying, I don't want to read this. Right. Because everyone knows I'm a Steelers fan in Cleveland. Diehard you know, Steelers. Diehard Steelers. I'm an Indians baseball, but Steelers football. And I was you know, made for great radio when I was out there. And he's like, you have to. We have to break this first because we had a sister station that was a sports station. I actually ripped it before the sports people did. And I said it, man, my phone lines lit up, you know, and I won't even repeat the swear words, but they're like, you know, you're just making this up or you're just because you're a Steelers fan. And then there's like, you're enjoying this, aren't you? I'm like, I take no pleasure in this. And Why I. you make it up? Right. Because I want to I be like stone like Frankenstein. Wait, Browns suck. They move. Yeah. Why? <laughs> it just up, kidding. Sorry. And then I also, when I was at Rock 107, I got to announce the first Gulf War attack. Oh, really? And I was of draftable age at that oh, time, yeah, so yeah. I was panicked yeah, myself. Yeah. And we, and what was scary is getting this fax from ABC News all in caps. Yes. P- pull all national spots by ABC News immediately with like 10 exclamation points because all the ones for uh, for Army, Navy, Air yeah. Force, Marines, any armed forces things, pull them immediately. The subject mm. to penalty. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know. So then that's about 1997. Right, ninety seven. When I finished, you finished up. You you made a pretty dramatic. You could have stayed there and stayed in radio, and maybe moved and had a successful career. You had yeah. a successful career. You you could have continued nicely. Sure. You make a pretty impressive and brave jump to switch careers and go to California to be a stand-up comic. Now, I know you said you started stand-up in Cleveland area, right? Yeah. How did that go? Uh, yeah, we, did, we went pretty well. I mean, my first time ever performing, I opened for Tom Rhodes. 
Oh, yeah. Tom yeah. Rhodes. I love Tom yeah, Rhodes. Tom yeah. Rhodes, real intellectual comedian. Uh, yeah. He had a TV show, short lived show on NBC called Mr. Rhodes, still yeah. crushing it. Back then, had long hair. Yeah, back with yeah. long hair. Uh, but yeah, I opened for him. The com- we did a tie in with their comedy club, and they asked, you know, they just wanted the DJ to, hey, everybody, here's some free t shirts. But I asked, you know, I was like, can I do some time? And the club's like, if it's okay with Tom, I asked Tom, I said, can I do some time? He said, how much time? I said, five minutes. He goes, okay. I tell you what, I'll give you 15. I'm like, okay. And looking back, who yeah. knows how great that was. But I mean, I, I held my own. I right, did right, well. Right. And he goes, I will say out of all the DJs that opened for me and do this kind of stuff, you were very prepared. You did a great job. It made right. my job real easy. Because I had a feeling the writing was on the wall. I mean, for me to stay in Cleveland, ownership changed. All the stations that were trying to seduce me away from WMMS when I was in my heyday, once the ownership rules changed and I left MMS because they changed format and they started playing Dust in the Wind a thousand times, you know, which I would not do. I went to those stations and they're like, we'd love to have you. I said, look, I don't even need the same money you were offering before. I just want to kick their ass. Yeah. Those new owners are jerks and I want to stay on the radio. They said, no, we don't understand. We don't, we, no, we, yeah. we don't have it. We don't have right. any openings for you. So it was either that or be, you know, I'm not going to be a news anchor in Cleveland. I mean, right. I, had, I hosted some local TV out there, but I can't read the news. <laughs> so I had a side... Phys- you just can't? I can't. Yeah, I'm illiterate. Today! <laughs> I recognize uh. the logo. I, uh, I had to... Uh, so I had a DJ business on the side that I'd been right. running since 1990. And uh, I ran into an ex-girlfriend from college in the mall. And I've been looking at radio stations in Michigan, Pennsylvania, surrounding states, and mm-hmm. Ohio itself. And she's like, why? You did everything you wanted to do. Yeah. She goes, you really want to do stand-up and TV hosting? Go to L.A. or New York. And I hate snow. So I'm like, yeah. I was, I was dating someone at the time, but uh, you know, we weren't engaged or married or anything. So I literally, within 30 days, sold my business, mm-hmm. sold all my equipment, sold some of my furniture, flew out here and stayed at a buddy's house who works for a record company, found, gave myself three days to find a place, found an apartment, put a deposit, flew back, announced to my mom and uh, my friends and everything, and my mom had, that's what made it tough, because my yeah. mom and my dad had just gotten divorced. Mm. My mom was living in Arizona for the last two years during their separation, moved back to Ohio to be with me, she's there for a month, and then I moved to California. You're like, I'm out of here. That was rough, and you say it was brave, but it's brave now in hindsight. Looking back, I, there was times where it was stupid, that I felt selfish, and I was sad, it, it was rough. Sure, and, but, and that's the hard thing about our line of work, the entertainment line of work, you've got to make those sacrifices that are yeah. families. I, I, I it's weird to reference Stevie Nicks, but there's a great interview in 96 during the Fleetwood Mac reunion. She talks about, yeah, I, I couldn't have a marriage or kids. I couldn't have it. No. I had to give that up. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that's the hard choices. Uh, I'm not saying we all have to do that, but right. it, it, that is the brave choice to follow your dreams. And also for you, you weren't 20. I'm yeah. going to go out to L.A. and be a star. Yeah. You had a career uh, at a very famous, influential uh, station that I knew about in Pismo Beach, California. Right. I sw- I can't remember. I know I saw pictures of John Gorman. I've never and yeah. the crew in in the industry magazines. Oh, Radio so Records. I probably saw you. Yeah, yeah Radio. Radio Re- I, I was at yeah. Radio Records Friday Morning Quarterback. Uh, uh, Billboard. You you pick. Probably you, read your name. I probably yeah. subconsciously knew who yeah, you were. Yeah, I got a picture. I, I, speaking of which, someone emailed me on Facebook. There was a picture of me, the music director, and a couple other people, and Joan Jett that was in Friday Morning Quarterback, and they sold it on eBay for five dollars. Wow. They just took. They cut out a picture out of a magazine, and someone bought it. I can't believe someone Wait, bought it. Little someone, sold it. Someone outbid me by a quarter. <laughs> by the way, it's um, a black and white glossy photo of me with Joe Jett in a mullet. You paid five bucks for it. So that's my point: is it, it, comedy is something in your blood from a childhood, from, oh, from I, your childhood. I knew at age five. 
How do you know an 85? Part of it being an only child. I mean, uh, I just Mm. did a a scene in acting class for a monologue uh, Mm. that I wrote. It's it's based on truth. Um, My mom and dad and I, some of my favorite moments, uh, favorite memories as a kid, uh, you know, we would turn off the TV. Not that we had, like the way TV is today with a thousand channels, but we would turn off the TV (laughs) and we would have comedy night. And I remember I wanted it every night. We'd be eating dinner. I'm like, can we have comedy night tonight? And my mom's like, no, not tonight. No, no. But we did it a lot. It wasn't like a special occasion. We did mm-hmm. it, I'll say, once a month, twice a month. And uh, my mom would sit in this. It was, it was the ritual of it that I love because my mm-hmm. mom would sit in the same spot, wear the same robe, the same cup of tea in the same spot. My dad would sit in, he'd sit in his recliner, but he wouldn't recline it for comedy night. For TV, he'd recline it. <laughs> For comedy, he'd sit he brought, like he's bracing himself for laughs. <laughs> right, and he would he would right. always wear those pajamas with the pocket and the they look like a suit. But yeah. but for comedy night, he wouldn't wear a shirt. <laughs> I don't understand what That's the comedy ritual. night. Man. Yes, and then Anything and then happen. I would. It was always George Carlin, Steve Martin, Bill Cosby. Yeah, you know, and and Spike Jones, who wasn't a real comedian, but I just love that stuff. And, uh, and Steve Martin, Bill Cosby, George Carlin, and uh, I would lie on my stomach with my ear right up against the speaker on the floor because we had a big stereo system. And I would hear all these little nuances, little mm-hmm. laughs. Mm-hmm. Like Steve Martin would do a joke and the laughs would end, but there'd be one guy who would keep laughing. I'm like, why is that guy laughing? Right. Or I'd hear one woman laughing louder over other people. I'm like, that must be funnier for women. I need to know why. Well. So especially with... Uh, Carlin and Steve Martin, they were so smart. Mm-hmm. They make references to Nixon or Watergate or Socrates. And I'm, right. like, I don't, I'm six years old in the library looking it up because I need to know why this was funny. Why is Socrates? Yeah, and I would just, just, and I just, you know, and then everything. It would just, we'd always, you know, we we have tapes of all these comedians in the car. Yeah. You know, we take long trips. We put those on instead of the radio. I mean, I didn't get into radio because I loved music. I mean, I like music, but I got in so I could be funny. Right. You know, and right. then just happens to be surrounded by music, and as long as I get to be funny, that's fine. My one of my early memories is. Uh, the album Bill Cosby, Bill Cosby himself, of course, uh, which I uh, parents had on VHS. Yep. I remember laughing until I fell off the couch. I I actually had chicken pox when that came out. I got yeah. chicken pox real late in life, and yeah. you know you, I was just dying. I mean I had you know I had I was really bad uh, with chicken pox. There was an epidemic in my high school. I watched himself sixty five times in a row. Yeah, I believe it. And just because I just got like, flu like symptoms, I like, yeah. couldn't get out of bed sixty five times in a row. That's and right. I watched it on HBO like a half a year ago. Yeah. And I not only could I did I still have every joke memorized. I was mouth. I found myself mouthing it unintentionally yeah. in perfect time. I bought. I have it on DVD. I bought it. I hadn't seen it in years, and yeah. I just got e- instantly transported back to that. And I saw Bill Cosby live when I was seven. I mean, come on. I mean, what parent? How cool is a parent that they foster that type thing? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 two, two, uh, one, one other uh, quick thing too is um, I remember. George Carlin has that one joke, you know, how many times do I have to tell you? Six. You know, and then he gets hit by his mom or whatever. I didn't do that kind of stuff. But if I did, it was knowingly being funny, so you know, not out of disrespect. I remember one time, I, there's a rule that comedians have, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to sarcasm. It's, always e- it's also a radio rule. Always easier to get forgiveness than permission. Right. Just do the thing on the radio and then get yelled at later. It's already done. It's usually how my dating life goes, too. <laughs> yeah. Let me just put this in here. Yeah. Oh, I'm not allowed? Oh, that's already in there. Let it go. Um, so I just remember uh, I was being, uh, my mom tossed me this lob that I yeah. totally could have spiked. And I remember... I was like eight or nine years old, like, oh, my God, this is so easy. I could say the most smart-ass thing right now. And I remember, like, no, grow up a little bit. And I got no sleep that night. I laid. I remember. I remember. I remember what the moonlight coming through the curtain looked like when I couldn't sleep, going, why didn't I just say it? I mean, I would have been grounded that bed, right? Next morning, I wake up. I'm having breakfast, and my mom is looking at me, and clearly I'm looking like a kid who didn't get any sleep. My mom's right. like, what's the matter, honey? I'm like, Mom, I didn't sleep at all. She's like, what's wrong? Don't you feel good? I said... 
remember yesterday when you said such and such and I didn't say anything smart Alec back? And she's like, yeah. I said, can I just say it and not get in trouble? Because I couldn't get anything last night. And my mom was like, go ahead. And I said it with none of the delivery, none of the timing. Right, I right. just said the words that I need to say. It was like, you popped up. I'm like, oh, thank <sighs> God. Now I can finally get some sleep. <sighs> that's a parent who understands their kid. That's when I knew my mom and I were the same mind. We had the same sense of humor. And she knew it wasn't the disrespect. It right. was just the idea of getting the joke you out. You had to get the joke in. And, and that's uh, often the difference between a class class and someone yes. who's a comedian. Never was disrespectful. I always right. made the teachers laugh, and I would pick my moments. I wouldn't say anything funny for a month, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if I could see my teacher, favorite Spanish teacher, Mrs. Crookston, she was just stressed. She had a real bad pregnancy. Baby's fine now, finally. And she was just fried. And I remember whatever it was I said. I remember she threw the chalk in the air laughing. She goes, we're done for today. Everyone gets an A. And everyone now I'm the man. <laughs> and glasses. <laughs> everyone just got an A for the day. What, what was her name? Mrs. Crookston. Yeah, my, my favorite Spanish teacher in high school uh, recently passed away. Her name was uh, Senora Cockshot. Oh, boy. <laughs> what is that in Spanish? That was, I, <laughs> and I, at the time, had no clue why people were snickering. I was like, why, yeah. why is Cockshot a come bad day? Come on. 100%. 100%. What are you doing? Um, so you come out here to California to chase a dream where, much like Favreau says in Swingers, yeah. you're led to believe that you get off the bus and people hand you a sitcom. Hand you a sitcom. Uh, not so much the case. No. But uh, we go to commercial now. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not where you are now. No. Uh, making a living off of comedy, and and that that includes corporate stuff, which is corporate. an overlooked aspect of comedy. It is corporate stuff, and uh, you know, I next next week I go showcase to perform on cruise ships, which is a crazy good money there too, and travel. Well, I want you to get that gig because <laughs> then you can bring a friend. Yes, and we can do the podcast from the high seas where anything goes. What's your seven miles out? <laughs> We're outside the <laughs> laws here. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, just uh, stand-up, TV hosting, voiceovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? Uh, one of my role models has always been Steve Allen, yeah. who I'm always sad that I never got to meet because he died such a weird death. Mm-hmm. You know, a very small fender-bender accident bumped his head, and the next yeah. thing you know, he had like a minor stroke and died or whatever. I'm sure I don't have yeah. the details right, but it was bad. He always, I mean, he was, a, he was like Steve Martin also, mm-hmm. writer, actor, producer, poet, singer, songwriter, yeah. jingle writer, just author, did it all. Did it all. And they always said, why do you work so hard? You have 13 jobs. He goes, no, no. I says, I have 13 things going on, and if eight of them are slow, I still have five things going on. Right. And right. Uh, I've always done that. I've been real careful with money. I socked mm-hmm. money away. I mean, I've had some times where I was not good with money. I learned my sure. lesson when I came out here. Um, but... Stand up gets slow. Oh, I just booked a voiceover job. That gets right. slow. Oh, I'm just booked a TV hosting job on Reels. Oh, that picked slow uh, slow down. Up. Oh, I'm still got corporate events and weddings that I DJ. Oh, right. Something else picks up. Right. Um. So when you hit the ground in, in 1997, the Cleveland Indians just lost the World Series. <laughs> the day I drove out here. Yeah. The, um, night, the day after I drove Charles out. Charles Nagy gives up a hit oh. to uh, Edgar Renneria. Right. Yeah. I believe that 1997 World Series. You're yeah. driving out here. You hit the town. What do you do? Uh, how do you take on the town? What was your plan of action? Did you have a plan of action? I thought I did. Okay. And looking back, I may have worked hard, but I didn't work smart. I remember mm. uh, my buddy who drove out here with me, uh, you know, we, you know, he was kind enough to drive with me, so I promised him some sightseeing, and Sucker. I wanted to learn the city yeah. a little bit, you know, and learn the layout of the land. Um, 
my first thing, I, I wouldn't say I thought, well, the phone's just going to ring and sure. here, here comes the auditions and the sure. jobs. But I thought it, I would get some work because I did come out here with an agent already, which is okay. rare. Yeah, right. Very rare. I actually booked my first stand-up uh, gig, my first paid stand-up gig through my L.A. agent in Youngstown, Ohio for The Mob. But that's another story. <laughs> I mean, it's right out of The Sopranos or Goodfellas. <laughs> Can't and, talk about here. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's that's a funny story, too. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I came out here thinking, oh, I'm going to get more stand-up gigs and a good TV hosting in my agent probably kind of scummy sure you know gave me the whole you're going to be a star kid type thing and you already have a head start you got radio and tv people uh, know you people know you that kind of thing you know you're a good looking right. guy and yeah so are the other 86 jillion people who exactly. are good looking and right. better looking and more fit and you know have a bigger chin dimple <laughs> you know and uh so I did. Uh, I went through a real bad depression. I'm not yeah. gonna lie, a bad depression. I remember going over two weeks without taking a shower. Well, I was on a mission. I was just like, screw it. I yeah. don't care. Uh, really, on a mission. Uh, yeah, you <laughs> put chalk drawings <laughs> on the wall. Day seven. I, hair I just had. I just had one unified oily hair strand that <laughs> <laughs> just pushed to the right or oh. left. Uh, I was really hostile to my then girlfriend and my mm. mom. You know, I just I was I was probably a real bastard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was what it was was loneliness. You know, I was used to having not only my real life friends but my radio support and right. the fandom there and i know this sounds like oh poor you i'm just saying that's what it was i went from knowing everybody sure. to knowing only my agent i knew no one yeah i had no friends out here i didn't know anybody uh in an acting class but i never really hung out with the people mm-hmm. of the acting class good acting class uh also started uh, sketching improv at mm-hmm. la connection comedy theater so mm-hmm. some some friends that i still am friends with today brandon gibson mm-hmm. um so i uh, started off extra work Okay. Did a lot of extra work, a lot of temp jobs, a lot of soul-crushing telemarketing sure. jobs, office jobs, and then eventually uh, a temp job that started off part-time that became not only full-time, but they created a position for me at a company that went from seven employees to 52 employees to two, and I was the second, <laughs> I was the second, I was the second to last, it was me and the president. So, hey, suck it, uh, architects. You want to go to lunch? <laughs> close down the business. How close... In maybe that depression period of that first year, how close did you ever come to, to going back? Uh, I remember even telling my then girlfriend that I was because she left me. Mm-hmm. She she did. I mean, it sounds like a movie Smart of the week. Girl. Yeah, she left me. She uh, yeah. The the best part was is when I found that everyone in Ohio, including my mother, found out before I did. Uh, wow, that should have been pre Facebook, Twitter. Yeah, I, she she went home. She went home for Easter. She's like, "You gonna come home with me for Easter?" I'm like, "I can't." I'm actually, I actually booked a small part on a TV show or sure. something like that, and uh, and I was like, "I can't." I have to, you know. She, you know, she just didn't get it. She is sure. none of those aspirations at all. The complete opposite. She wants to job security, nine to five, weekends off, sell your soul, die in a cubicle. Uh, yeah, me. yeah. And uh, so I didn't go. And then apparently when she was back home in Easter, she told all my friends, my best oh. friend, my mom, that when I come back to L.A., he and I are done. So, of course, I greet her with open arms. Honey. Yeah. We, you know, we even fooled around that night, which yeah. I think is borders oh. on cruel. Oh, <laughs> she wanted one last shot. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then uh, she told me she's moving back, and her uncle owned a trucking company. had already had arranged to have her car picked up on the flatbed, and within a week... That's like uh, that's like the when Harry met Sally when the movers show yeah. up. The movers know. The yeah. movers knew, but I didn't. Yeah, know. and I remember I went out and drank a twelve pack of beer in forty five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> and went down by the pool. Wow. I didn't. I didn't go into the pool. I just laid there next to the pool in a lounge chair Here and just I pounded again on my own. <laughs> and uh, pounded those beers. Looking back, it was like, oh, geez. But sure. uh, you know. But uh, you know. And then uh, and then you know. And 
the worst part is she still wanted to stay there for six more days. Oh, get out of here. So uh, so she moved away, and I'm thinking, she's going to change her mind. She's going to change her mind. Then she moved back, and I was just ridiculously lonely. And then I, right. I remember calling her. I was like, all right, I'm coming back. I said, let me. Mm-hmm. It's going to take some time. I have to sell some furniture here. And you know, I move cross-country. It takes some time to coordinate. This right. is moving across the street. But the thing was, here's the lesson, boys and girls. As the time went on, I'm like, okay, I'll give myself 30 days, put in the notice or whatever. Time went on. I didn't miss her as much. Right. Just didn't. Right. And then, oddly enough, once I got into a better mood, better things started happening to me. I started meeting more friends and started doing more stuff and booking more jobs and doing right. other things. And money was coming in on at any way possible. And that was it. I, I was here. I, I just, I always find that there's a point where it comes close. I moved to L.A. in August 1998 by, uh, I think, the... That fall, but again in the fall of 1999, I was up watching. I took a week off, went home, was watching the 1999 World Series, Yankees-Braves, Yankees sweep, and I almost didn't come back to L.A. Yeah. And I don't think I ever really told my parents that. I was so depressed. Uh, so I always find when you make that move to L.A., there's always that point where it's early in the game. Yeah. And I always like to find out for everybody, from everybody when, when they almost went back. Chris Rock always said he treated his fame like uh, college. Right. You know, and whether you're going for your bachelor's, master's, or doctorate, that's up to you. That's how many year program you're in. But he said, yeah. you know, he just he was stand up four years, and he got SNL, I believe, four years after he started doing stand up. Oh, okay. And I remember when I was working at my very first radio station, WAUP, and I was reading an ad for Radio and Records. WMMS was looking for DJs, and it said must have eight years experience. And right. I remember going eight years. Good God, I'm never gonna have eight years. Eight years almost to the day I got a job at WMMS. Wow, really? Almost to the day. I mean, it was, it was freaky because I saved the thing. Right. And it was like March 7th or whatever I started. And I started like March 14th at uh, WMMS. But, uh, yeah, it, 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 to say, I, I never use the word dreams out here. Yeah. You know, I would say goals, goals because dreams you really can't control. I know yeah. I don't get all new agey and semantic, but I just, I've never used that word. I mean, jokingly, living the dream. Yeah. But uh, I just, I'm sorry. I just, I'd, I, I'd rather do what I love and be able to look myself in the eye because, man, those... The high, as you've been doing, it, the, the longer you do this, the highs are still as high, but the mm-hmm. lows aren't as low. Right. When you first start off, the highs are really high and the lows are really low, and that, right. that's, that's tough. There's, there is not that, quote, security or consistency. But as you've been doing this longer, and, and by saying doing it, you know, the race isn't always won by the fastest or the strongest. Sometimes it's just the person who stays. Yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of brilliant actors in different acting classes I've taken, and uh, you and I have a mutual friend who shall remain nameless and, you know, mm-hmm. given themselves two years to, quote, become famous. Right. I had another guy who was from Wisconsin. His parents gave him six months to become famous. Uh, who knows what level of yeah. fame that involves. Yeah. But he was gone. It's, and, and, and you mentioned, like, dreams. That they, what's the, I moved to L.A. with the dream of uh, joining the Groundlings and getting on, getting on with SNL. And four years into that, I'm voted out of the Groundlings. Well, because that was my dream and not a par- a goal and part of a bigger picture. I was devastated. Sure. Suicidal. Attempted suicide once directly because of that. Because I I focused on it as this dreamy yeah. thing. And it was in front of me. And also your only option. My only option. Yeah, that's right. And you got to approach this as a business. Yeah. Including stand-up comedy. I've changed, for those of you considering anything in mm-hmm. entertainment of any aspect, radio, TV, hosting, whatever. Right. I've whatever. changed my plan of attack so many times, and it's not compromising. It's just changing what's important to you, how you go about getting it, and how much do you need. Uh, sure. Sometimes I really get, I'm like, you know what? I just really want to focus on stand-up right now. I'm in a zone. doesn't mean mm. I'm abandoning hosting or acting or writing or, or right. voiceovers. You know, I really want to do this. M- could be part of my problem. Look, I, my dream gig, I would love to do a, be a permanent host uh, voice on The Simpsons, as sure, would you. Sure. I mean, that's the best job in Hollywood. You're getting yeah. a jillion dollars, and you can walk around your pajamas, and no one recognizes <laughs> you, unless you're Hank Azaria. 
Um, you know, but it's, I've never been that specific. Maybe I should be, but I enjoy hosting for one reason, mm-hmm. stand-up for another, voiceovers for another, writing for another. I mean, I enjoy them all for different reasons. It's, it's about finding that balance. I do the same. I, I did give up uh, sketch and improv. Maybe one day I'll go back. I did stand-up for 10 years, as you know, off and on. for mm-hmm. better. And, and I'm not done with it, but I realized at one point uh, my passion wasn't there. I looked at what you were doing and, and those guys on the road, the road dogs. Yeah, the road dogs. That's how you make the living. Yeah. Simone's and Mark Ellis's of the world. Yep. Who, uh, uh, Johnny Cardinelli, another one who just hit the road and they make a living. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So that's why I knew I had to pull back on stand-up and concentrate on other areas. I still love it. The joke is I retired from stand-up three or four times. Yeah. True, but I'll be back on stage one time. You were actually... I did it. I, the longest stretch gig. I did almost three years. Yeah, I, I was on the okay. road about 26 weeks a year for three years. That's half the year. But I mean, I was... I didn't... Right. I, I wouldn't say I did it wrong, but I mean, a lot of these guys plan they'll go play, for example, Pittsburgh and they'll look around. Okay, my Pittsburgh gig's over. Maybe I could squeeze in a one-nighter in Youngstown because that's close by. Right. I would fly somewhere, fly back. Stay a week oh, yeah, or two, yeah. fly somewhere, fly back. And sometimes it'd be gone for two, three weeks at a clip. Sometimes it'd be gone for four days. But it came out to basically half the year I was gone. And I don't regret it. I loved it. I got yeah. That's when I got really good. Yeah. Uh, and that's when you you know learn how to think on your feet and do crowd work and everything. But I could really see how comedians develop alcohol and drug problems. Right. Because I know I ate. You eat crap. You eat late. Right. You get bored. You get lonely. You hang out with girls you normally wouldn't hang out with. Right. You know, and you're. I mean, I was never into the drug scene. Never have. Never will. But I mean, I drank more than I normally would. Right. And I wasn't worried about myself because I'd be gone for a week and I'd be right back home again, my own sure. bed, that kind of stuff. But these guys who li- literally live in their yeah. car, screw that. Yeah. That's yeah. just that. Uh, that's over. The people think, oh, it's the romantic side. And nah, that's. Right. I, that that's that's another self-destructive episode, like that episode of Louie with what's his face, who was on that. Stanhope. Doug Stanhope yeah, was yeah. a brilliant episode, and yeah, episode. I mean, the, you know, the acting job, but the truth to it too. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't find myself doing that. But you, you, you uh, you've also had some close calls with bigger, bigger success. Uh, you yeah. also got uh, <clears throat> appeared at a in a porno. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank tell, you. Quick, tell quickly that story. I uh, I was uh, when I when one of my first headshots was uh, my hair was all slicked back and I had a couple my when my earrings my ears were still pierced I had a couple earrings in black and white headshots back very then. Italian very Italian black, black leather jacket looking Guido and even I had a black leather coat on with no shirt what am I doing mm-hmm. and uh, this casting director got a hold of my pictures like hey do you want to be in a mob flick you know as like a, a, a featured extra which is a bigger pay rate and you're, sure. you're actually seen like hey you know you're not just some guy walking in front of the right. lens right. I'm like sure. Yeah, I'm thinking, and he's like, it's three days' work. I'm like, yeah. Absolutely. And he goes, could lead to something bigger. I'm like, perfect. You know, I'm idiot. And then, like, uh, he goes, all right, I'll call you next week with details. A week later, he calls me. He goes, it's an erotic thriller, I should tell you. I'm like, that's okay, okay. whatever. Keep me posted. I'm in my car driving to it. And he goes, all right, I need to come clean. It's an adult film. I'm like, what are you doing to me, man? <laughs> And uh, he goes, look, you could tell, he probably took, uh, the way he spoke to me, you could tell he probably did this like 10 actors. Right. And they all said, screw you, and hung up, and I'm the guy who stayed on the phone. (laughs) And he goes, wait, 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 wait. He goes, I'll tell you what, you won't have to do anything sexual. You won't even be around anything sexual. If at any time you feel uncomfortable, you can leave, no questions asked, and I will still pay you for the day. Just please show up. I'm like, all right, man, but if I feel weird, I said, I have parents that are alive. I can't be, you know, and he goes, no, no, no. And I, of course, was not in anything, but I got to see some stuff, and yeah. I had to fire guns. I got hurt. I had to do stunts. My first day was 45 minutes up in a Hollywood uh, mansion. Right. 45 minutes, I think it'd be like 300 bucks. Sure. I got to walk around with a gun, got great screen time. Director loved me. I improvised. The other actors were like, dude, we can get you in a scene. I'm like, everybody calm hey, down. down. Second and third day, 17-hour days. Right. Uh, a whore, just you know, st- 
unsafe stunts. You know, I, I smack myself in the lip with a 12-gauge, you know, split my lip open, cut both my knees open, dive it into a moving convertible Mustang while they pour Clorox <laughs> and, and flour all over it to make it look like cocaine. And by the way, the name of the movie is called Mafioso. Mm-hmm. It's the... Uh, and you're on the box, I believe. I'm right? on the bo- I'm not on the cover. They wanted to put me on the cover. And by the way, it actually got nominated for Best Picture, and it had a real high budget. Not by the Academy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, I'm on the back cover, but you really can't... You know, I know it's me because I know what I wore that day. But <laughs> it's like the, the plot is the black gang versus the Russian gang versus the Italian gang all uh, get for uh, fighting for drug rights. All having sex. But in the, yeah. In the meantime, there's some anal. And uh, and then and the and the daughter of the mob guy, she feels she should be in charge of the mob once dad dies because she's the oldest, but she's a girl, sure, so she can't do it. So she'll show her dad, and somehow having sex with everyone else is going to show her dad that she can party like the guys. Uh, Who knows? Hollywood. The worst part was though, yeah, I shot the third day. We shot at my on my mom's birthday. <laughs> and uh, it was fun. so I remember I, I called her on her birthday, but it was 6 a.m. because I was just getting off set. Yeah. Sun's coming up. I'm in my car, could barely keep my eyes open. And it's 9 a.m. in Ohio, so my mom's like, honey, why are yeah. you calling me so early? Are, are, you, are, you, are, are you just getting off set? I go, yeah. She goes, what movie is this? I want to see it. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> I you go, can't. it's it, it, straight to video. You, it's, it's, it's a piece of crap. You don't want to see this movie. <laughs> When when did you finally tell her? I still haven't. Just so. now? <laughs> Just now. Way to go. Okay. I'd <laughs> like to say we, goodbye to everyone. <laughs> we expose things here on the Knapsack Files. Uh, you could tease this now. In the time remaining, um, you mentioned it. Success is a weird word in Hollywood. Yeah. There's no true end to this. My therapist. No is, finish line. Because I had to say it. He goes, Our pro- there's, no, there's no, you have reached the end. Yes. Yeah gigs and this and that uh, even if you win an, you win an academy award you still have to go get your next job yeah um, how many oscars have you seen one and like yeah, whatever happened to that guy right right f murray abraham um yep. so murray with that abraham <laughs> with that hanging over your head uh, and you've you've had a lot of successes uh, and uh, a lot of accomplished a lot of goals uh, more to come how, how do you deal with Going forward, um, I've always said uh, I, I used to. When I got out of radio, I taught at the Ohio Center of Broadcasting for about six months, and I remember my farewell speech. I told them, I said, "Don't do something you uh, hate. Obviously, don't do something you tolerate. Don't even do a job you like. You better do something you love because you're going to be doing that a minimum of one third of your life. You know, right. if, if that's if you just work a forty-hour work week." Right. I said, uh, "I said, and there is no big break." Yeah. Your life is a series of breaks that vary in sizes. When I look back at 11 years of radio, for example, my first break was getting hired at WAUP. Mm-hmm. My next break was getting be- becoming assistant program director, then program director. Then right. I became a, an instructor. Plus, I was a DJ, then a sports uh, play-by-play announcer. Right. Then I got my next break was I got my first job at a country station. It was just the weekend, but that was a break. Right. It was a great job, but it was a break. Then after that, Rock 107. Started off part-time overnights. Overnights full time, seven to midnight, middays, afternoon drive, offer me the music director job. I said, screw it. And then I went to MMS, <laughs> Mid- afternoon mm-hmm. drive, middays, and then mornings. You know, just it's, yeah. it's a series of breaks. And out here, I mean, I made it down to the final three to host Talk Soup after John Henson uh, left. Mm-hmm. I actually, my, my third audition ever, I booked a series regular on a pilot. Right. But uh, the, 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 the show got scrapped because it was like a, it would be the equivalent of what Southland was. Right. And uh, it was based on the oh. Rampart Police Department, right? And uh, d- d- department there. And uh, then there was a big scandal in LA in real life, <laughs> and the whole project just got <laughs> too close. Crap to canned. So I mean, yeah, you're, I don't, I don't worry about that. I know there will be other breaks. You know, it's yeah. an ebb and a flow. I mean, people think everyone thinks uh, unless you're. 
Ken Knapsack is the star of the Ken Knapsack Show, and it's on prime time on NBC on Thursdays right. at nine. There's, it's not a success. Oh, right. it's only on at ten o'clock. Oh, right. it's on TBS. Oh, it's yeah. a summer replacement. Screw them. You know, I, I gave up trying to explain this business and and or success to my right. friends back home a long time ago, and for them to say, "Don't worry, you'll make it." It's like I've lived here fifteen years. Right. You know, I live. Sometimes I live leaner than others, but for the most part, I live. You know, I have good friends. I have a good job, and I don't live in a beige house and die behind a cubicle. Right. And 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 people who uh, there's a lot of people that love that. Do you don't? I know. I know you personally. I know you. You're you're not really a. a, a Marriage guy, yeah, not a, not a kids a, guy. Not a, never uh, say never, but it's never sure. been a priority. I'm, I'm same with me. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably maybe more likely to get married than you, but then again, uh, <laughs> I'm the last of all my friends. <laughs> yeah, I think you and I are like last guys. Yeah, we're the last guys <laughs> standing. standing. Now that includes there, you. there should have been a money in a pot involved. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm referring to like just high school and my my age group. I'm about about six, uh, almost ten, you know, six, yeah, eight years younger than you, roughly. Uh, so a lot of I, I'm one in in my house I lived in L.A., everyone is married but me yeah. now. Uh, you're probably in a similar boat. Do you at any point, do you at any point go, man, I should have no. just got that job? No? No. Yeah. You see, I didn't even get to finish the question. Yeah. I just haven't. It's never, ever. I mean, I, I, I had a good paying job. I was a creative director and marketing director at an architectural and construction firm, and I started there as a temp part-time, mm-hmm. and then I became a one-man department, and like I said, by the time the company closed its doors, it was me and the president. Right. You know, and I, that was it. I mean, the architects and the construction guys got fired before I did. Right. Um, and that was a, I had a level of creative freedom there, but it was certainly wasn't an entertainment, but it was a solid job. I had health insurance, but man, when I got that unemployment, I was happier than when I was working there. Right. And I just, I'd never, you know, like, yes, do I want to own a, I want to own a home, not for, I want to own a home for equity and I want right, to build right. my, my 401k. No, I just want to have a place that I can decorate and make noise Sure. and run around naked <laughs> in my backyard. That's what I'm looking yeah, for. There's nothing. To, I want to have a dog. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I had a friend recently who just bought a home, and I'm happy for him. Totally bought it, but he was like, "It's it was one of my goals from childhood to own a home." I'm like, "I live in my car if it, you know, I don't want to, but yeah. I, I would rather live in my car and have a fulfilling creative job or yeah. something than that." And I have a, a day job that's continued, and I promote it up, and it's comfortable. But it, it now I've come to a peace with it where it provides me capital to do the other things I love. True or false? <laughs> the, whole, the most fun you've ever had in your life has been the lowest paying jobs. Uh, yeah, my five dollar an hour yeah, radio yeah. job. Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, I've, 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 I've done stand up gigs, you know, in, in L.A. Everything is showcase spots. I mean, you you can sure. get paid to do a spot in L.A., but you're not you're not retiring from it. Mm. Uh, but all the gigs that you and I have done, we've had some great times. I mean, some of the roasts we've done, we didn't make a dime, but man, those were some of the best shows ever. Yeah. And then I'll go to a corporate gig and I'll make five grand in an hour, and I just like just get me to my car. Right. You know, it, those are paycheck gigs, and you're just like, you know, yeah. it, it, it never did I leave a corporate gig. Go, that was fun. I'm like, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought yeah. it would be, and I'm not complaining again. But I'm just saying. It's a trade-off. For those of you who, who don't know that Ken and I, you know, we're in, uh, in this business, people are like, oh, that's crazy. They, they got a million dollars because Ken and I wrote a script together. They got, they got a million dollars in points on the back, and they've made $50 million from their sure. script. You know what that is, yeah. folks? Severance pay and back pay for all the days we worked for free since mm-hmm. birth. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. Now we're caught up. Now we're back to zero. <laughs> yeah, now we're back <laughs> up to zero. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and not that, I, again, I don't view marriage as a bad thing or kids or a home or a dog or, or hey, I got the weekend off. Uh, I just can't imagine finding long-term f- fulfillment in that yet. 
Yeah, I, I, one I, day I, I will. I've never even looked at it as I can't picture finding long term fulfillment. I just can't. I think two people get married just being like, well, I guess it's time. What else do I? Yeah, do? yeah. Well, I, guess I guess I get married. Get married now. It's just like it's a thing to do, or they settle, or whether it's parental pressure. I've never. Right. I, I don't know if your mom ever, your parents ever pressure you into that. I asked my mom. I said, are "You mad? You don't have any grandkids?" And she goes, "She goes, I'm not mad." She goes, "I'm I." If, if you have them, great. And she gave me the I just want you to be happy speech. Mm. And every now and then she's like, I just don't want you to be alone. I'm like, sure. well, Mom, I don't live under the bridge. I have right. My friends are like my family. So you, uh, We're going into overtime here, but that's okay. Do you, do you ever do you ever feel guilty? I, I have not given my mother and father grandkids. They have two other for my sister, but it's a complicated situation. But sometimes I feel a little guilty that since I'm the normal one, I could have given <laughs> my parents just a normal we're coming home for Christmas and Easter I grandchild situation. Feel, I don't know if I feel guilty. It's like my mom and dad are divorced. And uh, maybe if, like, my mom lived, you know, if I when my ship comes in, so to speak, and, uh, you know, I have a house and mom lives in the guest house way out back, way <laughs> out back. <laughs> two acres over. Two, two acres over. No, my, my, you know, and she lives close by or whatever. Yeah, I think if you're going to have kids, I want them to know their grandparents. And my sure. dad lives in Arizona, and he's remarried. My mom lives in Ohio. It, it, what's the point? And, and what am I, a Kennedy, a Rockefeller? What kind yeah, of great right, legacy right. am I keeping I mean, alive? I regret it. Our, our good friend Bartek Gretty once told me he kind of regrets not giving it. But at the same time, it doesn't change it. No. I could feel a little bad that I haven't produced an heir for my, yeah, well, for my family, but to, it to, doesn't to, change To it. that order, of, if I, I, man, having worked on radio, you probably heard the same comment from listeners if you ever had the topic about kids or family mm-hmm. or maybe there was something local in the news about a kid got abducted or something like that, yeah. right? This the, Here's the phrase. I love my kids to death, but... Every time you hear someone say, I love so-and-so to death, that means I would love it if they were dead. <laughs> Sorry, that's a fact. I love my boyfriend to death. Don't get me wrong. I love my girlfriend to death. I love my wife to death. Don't get me wrong. She's great. Yeah. But if I had to because because that because yeah. anytime that the word but always follows that station. No one ever says, I love my wife to death, mm-hmm. period. I l- like it when my friends who are parents can admit to me, dear God, my kid drives me Insane. Yeah, uh, I I don't like this. Uh, this I get you love your kids. I get you're a good parent. Yeah. Could you admit? What choice do you have? Could you admit to me that you'd like to just go out drinking on one Saturday night without yeah. a kid or, or at home? Tuesday morning yeah. for that matter? Or, or the people's like you know it's like I wouldn't trade my kids for the world. That's a great thing to say. I no, would. no kidding. You know why? Because you can't. You can't. Li- <laughs> exactly. Hey, how much is that new uh, Mercedes? Thirty five thousand. All right. Here's what I can do for you. I have a kid. I will trade that even up. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't trade my me? kids for words. The fact that you couldn't... Uh, why, do you do that? Are, no, are you bitten me? No, no, I'm, just no, saying, no. I'm, just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I thought that God, I just steal a bit. I, just, uh, I wouldn't trade my kids. Well, no yeah. kidding. You can't do it. So don't even say that kind of right. crap. You act like you're making some noble cause. You know, you're not saying I would take a right. bullet from my kids. You're saying I wouldn't trade them as uh, if that was an option in life. I think we're closing this episode by angering <laughs> our mothers. <laughs> angering our mothers and offending our friends with and kids. And that's only one beer in, that's kids. Absolutely. Uh, I'm starting to even slur my words <laughs> with uh, this Revel Stoke Canadian whiskey. Is that one of our sponsors? Now? Yes. Non-sponsored <laughs> yet. Well, that has been a, a pretty interesting episode of the Knapsack Files. And by pretty interesting, I mean damn fine interesting Thank you. Show. I had a good time. Been, been waiting to talk to you about radio and your pursuit, and we'll bring you back on simply because all I have to do is turn the TV off and tell you to come over to the <laughs> studio chair. I'll be the Martin Short here, David Letterman. He's on there like <laughs> a thousand times. Sometimes you can tell it's like Martin Short available. That other guy canceled. Marty. Get Lou on, yeah. Marty. <laughs> um, uh, so continued success to you and to me because if we succeed in certain realms, like our screenplay, we'll yep. both be uh, broadcasting live from a different. Maybe we'll sell a script. That's and- a different podcast where we're the guests. <laughs> or can we just get rich, buy a mansion, and still be roommates? Yeah. Possible. <laughs> Hitting a buzzer. They're Oscar winners and roommates. <laughs> uh, that is Lou Santini. I'm Ken Napsock. This has been another edition of the Napsock Files. Be 
sure to follow us on Facebook. That's right. You can follow us on Facebook. We're on we're on Facebook, the Knapsack Files. Follow me on Twitter at K-O-Z-P-A-N, and follow Lou on Twitter. And uh, It's Lou Santini uh, with three U's in the word Lou. And, w- and we didn't get a chance to talk about your book. Ah, uh, we'll, just pl- we'll just go plug it away. Uh, LouSantini.com is the website, and yeah. I have a book. I've, I've emceed over 1,000 weddings, and this is a funny book that chronicles the real-life things that I have seen and what not to do at your wedding reception. The book is called From Go... <laughs> From wedding hell to wedding bells, what your your wedding <laughs> your, your wedding shouldn't need a survival guide. You know, it's funny. Kindle said that the title should be long because that helps sales. Clearly not. Clearly not. And you can buy my comedy you, album you on recently, iTunes. You were recently on Schmo's No, and you had yeah, trouble remembering the title there. And you can buy my comedy album on iTunes that you named. That's right. And you're the intro. The guy, you're the guy who brings me I'm up when it. I recorded that album I live. Get, I get one half cent royalty for every <laughs> thousand buys. Let's get bloated. Let's get bloated. The comedy stylings of Lou Santini. Go to LouSantini.com for more information. And again, follow me on Twitter, K-O-Z-P-A-N, on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and review. Find us on Stitcher as well. And the rebroadcasts, encore presentations of the Napsock Files on the Toad Hop Network every Thursday after the Schmoes No podcast. That is it. That has been the Napsock Files, a deluxe bonus edition. See you next time.